Why don't you stand up with me in honor of the reading of God's word? And we want to look at two portions of scripture. And I'm going to ask you, if, if I can, to read it out loud with me. There's nothing that will be any more important than us reading this word together today. But the context of it, real quick, the first part is the promise Jesus made right before he ascended to heaven that in just a little while, all of his followers would have access to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And then the second part is the first time that he granted that access for ordinary followers to receive the power of the Spirit. The reason why that's so significant is up to the time when Jesus ascended back to heaven. Remember that? Up to that time when he ascended back to heaven, the only people that had access to the Holy Spirit's supernatural power coming upon them and empowering them were specially selected, hand-picked leaders. Ordinary people like you and I didn't have access. We could watch, but we couldn't have access. It was prophets and priests and kings and elders and judges. And then in the beginning of the Gospels, though still kind of technically the old covenant time zone, like the 12 apostles and the 70 others. But now in this new and better covenant that's fully completed because Jesus has died on the cross and arisen again from the dead, we all now have access to the promise of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful for the work of Jesus today? Let's read out loud, big and bold. If your neighbor mutters, feel free to elbow them, all right? Let's draw our attention. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, we're going to stop there, but that's only scratching the surface of what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in our lives. Can we pray together? Father, what an honor it is that you would allow people like us to not only read your word, but to be able to speak your word and learn who you are and what you have for us and how we can draw near to you. We are so thankful and just hold in the highest place your eternal word. May it shape our thoughts. God, I pray if any of our thoughts or any of our understandings are contrary to the word of God, that you'll bend us, O oh God, and, and put us in the proper place where we can truly receive all that you have for us. And God, we pray today that you will grant such favor. I know it's your will. Lord, such favor that this room will be the easiest place on planet earth for people to receive from you. In fact, I pray even right now, as I'm just, just feeling your power moving in my knees right now, I just pray right now, God, you just 
sweep across this room right now with a healing anointing. Come on, friends, if you need a healing in your knees, just reach both hands to heaven right now. God, I pray the moment hands will go up, people will begin to feel the healing power of Jesus beginning to flow right now in the knees. Thank you, God, for restoring. Thank you, God. Thank you for your power. God, we pray that you would mark this day as well as people being saved and filled with the Spirit with dramatic, life-altering healings. We all need you, Lord. Send your power and your grace in our lives, we pray. Now, come on, before you're seated for like 20 seconds, would you just raise your voice with me? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to gully wash us today. Can we do that? Come, Holy Spirit. Wash over us. Wash over us. Wash over us. Wash over us. Wash over us, I pray. Wash over us, Lord. You are welcome here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you like, or you can remain standing and, and be a public spectacle. When, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, there's often a lot of confusion because, you know, when we think of, about the Godhead, we think about the Trinity, right? Uh, we know that God is one being, one substance. We don't, as Christians, worship three gods. We worship one God. How many of you are monotheists, right? You worship one God, okay? But within the one being of God, God is so much bigger and vastly superior to us that he doesn't fit into one puny idea of human personage. So within his one being are the three eternally distinct persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, or Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And we can kind of identify with God the Father because after all, he has a beard and a throne and a bathrobe, and you know, we know, I mean, we know the picture. We kind of, we, we, we have, whether he was a great guy for you or not, present or absent, everybody's had a father. And so we can kind of identify with that. We can identify with the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son, because he's designed to be understood. He became flesh and dwelt among us so we could relate to him. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I mean, first of all, his first name is holy, which means perfect, and that doesn't work very well. I mean, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag, although often a tightly sealed bag is a good place to store your cat. But I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I know, I know all the hate from the NFC. I know, I know, I know, I know. Hey, hey, we're, we don't have any better record than you do. Uh, but so, so perfection escapes me on that, right? Um, so holy, perfect, I don't get that. And then his last name, spirit, doesn't mean ghost. That's a mistranslation. It simply means invisible. So right away, I don't understand perfect, and I don't understand invisible. So what, you know what a lot of people do with the Holy Spirit? They push him way over there, or else they blame him whenever something weird happens. Well, you know, sister came forward and rolled around the altar and stuck to the ceiling and laid an egg, and praise God, it must have been the Holy Spirit, you know. And so that's not the way it is. You can trust everything that comes from the Holy Spirit because he's God's personal spirit, the spirit of God, and we need him so much. I want to show you real quickly a diagram to help you understand how much we need the Holy Spirit, and all the type A people are going to get blessed right now. You're going to, when you see the diagram, you're going to say, oh, hallelujah. All right, hit me with that if you would. I need some spray on hair there, don't I? Okay. Um, so on the, on the left side there in that gray zone, top to bottom, symbolizes the time before salvation. How many remember before you were born again? Okay. We were lost. We uh, addicted. We had all kinds of problems. Some of you owned house cats. I mean, terrible, terrible, egregious sin. And then as you go on to the right, then it's like a timeline. That's 
um, continuing on after you're born again. So the first work of the Spirit is the conviction work of the Spirit, which you can see begins before we're born again. And the red is kind of like a meter showing a real generic approximation of how much is going on there. So before you're born again, remember when the Holy Spirit began to pour the Tabasco sauce on you? I mean, you began to become very God-aware. You began to become aware, like John 16, 8 says, of your sin, of God's lack of sin, that's the only thing he lacks, and of the judgment that's coming, you know, so the Holy Spirit convicts us. And then the moment we're born again, that conviction drops away because the moment we're born again, we are immediately as spiritually clean as is possible. You can't get any cleaner than the second after you're born again. But the problem is humans are real crud magnets, aren't we? I mean, just look at your neighbor, for example. As, I mean... And so what happens is after we're born again, you will notice, and these ripples in the red there are just kind of a generic approximation, but you'll notice that after we're born again, there'll be different times where we'll sense more or less of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And some of it has to do with the actual how much activity the Spirit is there. But I think, honestly, a lot of it has to do with how much we're listening and how calloused our hearts are because it's pretty easy to develop calluses uh, to the things of the Spirit. Pretty easy to get rid of them, too. You just humble yourself and pray. But then the second work of the Spirit, the work of regeneration, just to be clear, um, there are five terms in the New Testament that basically mean the same thing. Um, the first term is born again. How many of you have been born again? All right. The second term that comes just a verse and a half later there is born of the Spirit means the same thing. But that term Jesus uses to kind of accentuate that the Holy Spirit is the one that is kind of washing us and renewing us in that moment. Another one would be, um, Paul's words would be saved or salvation. Another one of Paul's words would be this word regeneration, which we find in Titus 3.5, which like born of the Spirit is salvation, but it really has a strong spotlight on the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. He says in Titus 3.5, we've been saved through the water of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're born again because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one with the fuller brush and the hot bleach, right? And so when we're born again, you can see on the meter there, unlike conviction, which is, you know, depending on circumstances, regeneration, being born again is a state of being. We are not more born again when we feel like it and less born again when we don't feel like it. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, the Bible tells us clearly, Jesus said that no one else can take you or snatch you out of the hand of God when you're born again. Did you know your hell's angel grandma can't take your salvation from you, right? I mean, there's no one else that can take your salvation, but it is very clear in the scripture that we can choose to break that covenant turn our back into it. No one else can take us from the hand of God, but we can sure jump out, can't we? And, uh, but it's interesting because this is a solid state of being. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit cleanses us. We belong to God unless we would choose to turn our back on him, whether you feel it or not. And then the next one, the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, the indwelling ministry of the Spirit is talked about more in the Bible than any other work of the Spirit. And that is to say the moment we're born again immediately, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's good news, isn't it? And two main things happen there. We don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but two main things happen in indwelling. Number one, um, the Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation, and there are nine major scriptures in the New Testament on that. The Holy Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we belong with God. I mean, there's so many others. But he, first of all, assures us of our salvation. And then the second work in the indwelling spirit is that the Holy Spirit guides us. Everyone that's born again has supernaturally 
installed OEM Holy Spirit GPS in your life. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit will guide and lead you to the extent that you rely on him. If you just want to rely on him for big decisions, then you got that. If you want to rely on him between Captain Crunch and Raisin Bran, you got that too. I mean, he will, he will guide you into the minutia in which you permit him. And I dare you to try it because you'll find you'll miss a whole lot less, get a better net of catching the things of the Spirit in your life. And then the fourth work, the maturing work of the Spirit, this has to do with our own character development becoming less like me and more like Christ. And you can see on the meter as well that this one is not a state of being. I mean, I wish it was. Don't you wish when you got saved they would do some kind of, you know, communion with Red Bull or something and then you never sinned again? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? But instead, it's a lifelong pursuit. From the moment we are born again, we can be, and should begin to mature, and it should be a lifelong process. A lot of Christians, they only grow and mature as long as they get the major stuff dealt with in their lives. And then usually about 10 years or so into a Christian's life, they stop praying those introspective change me, transform me prayers. And then they kind of go off to Shady Acres Church, you know, in their heart. And that's why we can have people in the church that have loved and served the Lord for decades. And they can speak in tongues until their lips go numb and prophesy over you and whatever. But they're not very nice. Don't nudge anybody now, all right? Um, but that's why, because people stop pursuing the maturing work of the Spirit. How many think that people that have walked with the Lord for the longest time should be the sweetest, most godlike people? And I know we got those here today. But um, this is important for us. And so we think of maturing, we think of like the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, or the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and some of these ideas. And then finally, the empowering of the Spirit. And again, this is theoretical, but from the moment you are born again, it is possible for you and I to begin to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, specifically according to the words of the prophets and the words of Jesus, doesn't empower you to, you know, have whiter teeth or whatever it is. The empowering of the Spirit specifically is empowering for ministry because every Christian is called into the ministry, right? Did you know that? If you're born again, you're a minister. Turn to your neighbor and say, good morning. Reverend, all right, okay. Everyone that's born again is a minister. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm a plumber. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter what your vocation is, but your life calling is to do ministry to bear much fruit. And if you've ever been around a grumpy Christian, don't nudge them now either on that, but if you've ever been around a grumpy Christian, very often when people get very dissatisfied, complainy, grumpy, they're not currently actively involved in ministry because the Bible teaches us seven times in the words of Jesus that when you do ministry, you share in heaven's supernatural joy. And so it's just some interesting things to think about there. But the empowering of the Spirit is designed from the moment we're born again to grow. I've got, I don't know if you can see the subtle nuance there right about pow. I've got a plateau, but not in a negative sense. I've got it there because the Bible teaches us, as we'll see in a second, that from the moment we're born again, we can press in and begin to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there is a certain experience where you can say after that, you can say past tense, I have now received the power of the Spirit. But that doesn't mean like you disconnect then. That means that then all the days of your life you want to grow and increase. Um, this is a major theme of the book of Acts of Christians being empowered with the Holy Spirit and then going on greater levels, greater heights, greater miraculous release, you know, incredible things. How many want everything that God has for you, right? And so this is, this is a problem is a lot of Christians, they'll pray until that, that, 
that plateau, and again, it's a positive plateau in that, hey, I, this has happened for me, but then they never seek anymore, and they don't develop giftings, and they don't really step out and learn the ways of the Spirit. So what happens is we end up taking this experience that's supposed to be all about ministry, and we turn it into something like a little trinket on our spiritual charm bracelet, and, and it really, it's kind of yucky, honestly, because it's probably better for you not to have the power if you're not going to do anything with it, if you've ever read the parable of the talents. Remember that? So look at the next one real quick. And I'm sorry I'm talking like an auctioneer today, but it's just tough. I'm from Pennsylvania. The supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit for believers in this New Testament era that we live in is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You could translate that word that we use for in as either in or with. We get drenched in. Like when you get baptized in water, another believer, usually a more mature believer, dunks the new convert in water. And what does water baptism show? Very good, actually. I think you hit all of them right there. So it shows identification with Christ. It shows newness of life. It, you know, uh, it, it's good stuff, and it's important obedient action. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is dunking you or me, and he's dunking us in the element of the power of the Holy Spirit. And instead of getting wet, we get drenched in ministry power and ability, right? Jesus said we would receive power, ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And this is always an action of Jesus. I love this. I can't baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Pastor can't baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You know, Yoda can't baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can. So th this brings a safety to this because uh, some people are kind of afraid, you know, maybe they've heard weird stories or something, but uh, I'm afraid that if I open up to God, I might get something else, which is then that's kind of really problematic in a lot of areas if you think that, isn't it? But um, this is always an action of Jesus, and this term, baptized in the Holy Spirit, is used six times in the New Testament. Let me show you those scriptures real quick. So it's used in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John by John the Baptist before Jesus begins his ministry, and he says, you're going to know, identify the Messiah, because one of the things he's going to do is he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all there. It's the only prophecy of Jesus that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And then in Acts 1-5, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. He's already died, already risen again from the dead, getting ready to ascend to heaven, and he tells them, hey, this baptism in the Spirit thing hasn't happened yet. We read it just a moment ago, but put your seatbelts on, get, put your helmet on, get in the crash position, because in just a few days... I am going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in Acts eleven sixteen, the apostle Peter looks back and he says, on the day of Pentecost, and then also referring to another event when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, he says, that is when Jesus did that. Because a lot of people make the mistake and say, well, since the Holy Spirit lives in me from the moment I'm born again, isn't that when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, the words of Jesus and John the Baptist say no. That when we get born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, but we get baptized in the Holy Spirit after we're born again when we really begin to get serious about ministry and say, God, I want to do great things for you, but I don't know what I'm doing. Anybody identify with that? Aren't we all seriously over our heads, right? We need power. We need help. So we want to just, for the next couple of moments, look at two aspects of being baptized in the Holy Spirit that are overtly supernatural. The first one is the main one. It's the big deal. But the second one is kind of a sub-point that we'll just mention for a moment. All right, you ready? Okay, so the first uh, aspect of being baptized in the Holy Spirit that's supernatural is the benefit of supernatural ministry power. The benefit of supernatural ministry power. 
So you can notice this, and I, we'll talk about that prophetic word here in just a second. Supernatural ministry power. So with ministry, there are two sides of ministry. There is what is naturally possible. Somebody's hungry, you give them a sandwich, right? Um, and by the way, God blesses that when you do that in his name. Have you noticed that? How many of you have ever gone like on a missions trip or something? How many of you have ever done something on the missions trip that you'd never done before? You laid block or you pulled teeth or you euthanized cats or whatever it was, right? And so you, you do this, you'll notice that it, as you do those things, in the name of the Lord, have you noticed that you have like better ability than you realized? I mean, it's crazy. But God, God will take any level of ability when we do it in the name of the Lord and he'll add his favor and his blessing, his anointing on it. That's good. But then the other part, the other side of ministry is not just what's naturally possible, but what is supernaturally possible. And you can't serve a supernatural God and not have some kind of hunger or hankering for supernatural things. I mean, God's an amazing God, isn't he? And so he wants to share that with us. But the problem is we go, well, if someone's hungry, I mean, I can make them a sandwich whether God helps me or not. But if somebody's sick, I can't, you know, see their healing unless God helps me. So most people go, well, since I can't control it, I won't try it. But this baptism in the Holy Spirit gives us extra courage, not 100% courage. It just gives us enough to kick us over the edge to try for the Lord when he leads us. So a lot of people think like when you get baptized in the spirit, all your fear goes away. You know, well, no, if you're scared of clowns, you'll probably still be rightly scared of clowns after you're baptized in the spirit. But this, this is designed, this benefit of supernatural ministry power is designed really to benefit other people. It's, it's not about God coming in, you know, making me all of a sudden shine brighter than all my peers, but it's about God doing things through my life to benefit other people, whether or not anybody else ever realizes it or not. And so it benefits others, miraculous power. Um, this, this is interesting because the word that's translated, and I bet you all know this word even if you don't speak Greek. How many of you know the word for power in Acts 1-8? You will receive power. The word in the original Greek text, the New Testament. What is it? Dunamis. You've heard that before. That word, by the way, has nothing to do with dynamite. Get that out of your brain. That's a misunderstanding from a commentator in 1910. It is absolutely inaccurate. Dynamite would not be invented for 700 years in the future after Jesus said that. So thankfully, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to blow anybody up here today. Aren't you thankful for that? The word dunamis is translated into two English words in our Bible. And not you can't load every meaning into one word, but just to give you an idea of the semantic field of this word. It's translated as power or ability, same idea, or it's translated as the word miracle. For like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11, when Paul is listing the nine manifestation gifts of the Spirit, one of them is the working of miracles. It's energema dunamis, workings, activity of power, miraculous abilities. So Jesus is saying, you know, when you get baptized in the Spirit, I'm going to increase your ability in the things of the Spirit of God. How many would take an increase of the ability of the things of God in your life, right? Now, this idea of prophetic power, let's talk about that just for a quick second. When most people hear the word prophetic, you know what they think about? They think about a prophecy given in church where at the right time while the musicians are arpeggiating, all of a sudden Brother Bullhorn stands up and gives a, a prophecy. And I'm being silly about it, but I do love and appreciate the gift of prophecy, don't you? Especially when it's done really well by people that really season and pray and pray about it afterwards. They get a very elevated gift. Beautiful. 
But that's not what I'm talking about here. But that's what most people think about when they say prophetic power. Or the other thing, they would think about a, a specific prophet, you know, someone recognized in that way. But really, the number one empowering activity of the Holy Spirit, the number one thing the Holy Spirit does in the Bible to people, how many of you are people? Okay, there are two types of people. There are people and then there are OU fans. And so um, the... Uh, the number one empowering activity of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is that he empowers people to speak for God. You say, well, raising the dead, though, that's a good one. Well, it depends on who it is, you know. Um, the, 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 a lot of people kind of make this hierarchy. Well, you know, if you've got a sneeze and you get healed, that's like down here. And if you've got like a broken leg and you get healed, that's better. If you, you know, your head falls off and you get, then you get that one. If you get, raising the dead's here, you know. But that's not it at all. The number one, the most important thing in the heart of God. What do you think the number one passion in the heart of God is today to do in the world through people? To get the word out, right? So this is the number one thing he wants to empower what we say. The idea of prophetic power in the biggest context in the Bible is simply a human being saying something that God is leading them to say rather than what they're coming up with their own thoughts. And so this is really important. This is a central thing. So I'm going to show you something real quick, and if we can skip two slides ahead, that'd be awesome. Check this out. Um, there's a, there's a, a motif that develops in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, with the major prophets. Now, a moment ago, I said we're not really specifically talking about capital P prophets, but I want you to see this because I want you to see how this overlays over Scripture. The pattern is that God takes a person that doesn't know their head from the hole in the ground. You with me on that one, right? Then he gives them an encounter with the Holy Spirit and empowers them to do something great for him. We see this pattern to develop in Scripture. It takes an ordinary person, gives them an encounter with God, and gives them a confirming experience so they can go, I can do that now. I couldn't do that before. God must really be with me in the days to come. I'm going to really be checking out because now I can do things I couldn't do before, right? So we can see this very clearly in the way Old Testament prophets were anointed. We're not going to look at all of them, but I want to show you just a couple of them real quick so you can see this pattern that's emerged here. For example, Moses, remember him? And then the three middle columns uh, speak of the experience, what they saw, what they heard, what they felt in this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then the final column on the right is how their experience in the Holy Spirit was confirmed so they can say, hey, I can do things I couldn't do before. So Moses, for example, in Exodus 3, 2, he saw the fire, saw the burning bush. Remember that? You've seen the Ten Commandments. And then the next part there, he heard God speak. And then Finally, he felt some stuff. He felt the holy ground, the signs. Remember, put your hand in your robe, pull it out. He had leprosy, put it back in. Remember that? He had a tactile interaction with the Holy Spirit. So Moses, in those three middle experience columns, he saw, he heard, he felt. He had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, his encounter was confirmed by him being empowered to speak, although Moses was a bit of a slow starter, wasn't he? Remember that? God had to kind of give him the training wheels named his big brother Aaron for a little while. Remember that? But then I think it was like his third encounter before Yul Brenner and the power began to kick in. And then the next one, Isaiah. Just, just see this pattern. Isaiah, the three middle columns there. He saw the Lord. The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Heard God speak, felt the hot coal, confirmed by prophesying. When Isaiah began to prophesy after that encounter with the Holy Spirit, he says, I can do things I could never do before. God's really going to be with me. You see the elevation of courage and boldness there? And then the next one, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, he saw visions of God, 
heard God speak, God touched his mouth, and then finally God put his words in Jeremiah's mouth, wouldn't that solve a lot of problems, right? I mean, can you imagine that? So you can see this pattern. Then Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1, he saw visions of God, the wheel within a wheel, remember all that stuff? And then the word of the Lord came to him, and then he fell down like a dead man. So that speaks pretty strong in the Hebrew that God pretty much tripped his breakers and he lost all physical strength for a little while. And the spirit entered him and then he was empowered to speak God's words. And then we see Daniel here. Daniel, he saw this heavenly being, very likely an appearance of God. Then he heard the heavenly being speak and look what all he felt. He lost his strength. He fell down. He was physically touched, set to trembling. And then his lips were touched. You notice, you probably have seen some of this attention drawn to the mouth in the feel categories there. Why? Because God on every level is trying to nudge us and prompt us. He wants to speak through us, right? And uh, then he was strengthened to speak. And then you see like on the day of Pentecost here, what our text was today, spirit baptism. Um, Chronologically, the middle column happened first. The Bible says, uh, well, let me ask you this. Was there a wind on the day of Pentecost? Stop and think. Huh? There wasn't a literal wind on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says suddenly there came from heaven the sound like as a violent wind, right, or rushing mighty wind. And so they began to hear, and then the the second column would be next in order. Then there appeared to them. The Bible doesn't say that there was actual fire, even though the old hymn, uh, Great Balls of Fire, is is one of my favorites, but that's that's not accurate. They saw this appearance, bright, fluid, plasma-like, you know, glowing, whatever, like fire, not fire, but like fire, This appearance of power that came down in one bigger mass, apparently, from the way the wording is, and then divided and came to rest on each of them, not just the 12 special apostles, but everyone that was there. The appearance like fire, the physical verb is used in column four there, that sat or rested upon them, a very physical verb. And then that they were filled, another very physical verb. They saw, they heard, they felt, they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now think about this for a second. Up to this time in Scripture... Who was the one, number one people group on the earth that was the heart attention of God? The Jews. And God still has a priority for his people. We understand that and appreciate that. But one of the major themes prophesied beginning with Isaiah all the way through the scriptures then, and then in the ministry of Jesus, and then we read it a moment ago that we would receive power and we would be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which are like half Jew, half Canaanites, to the ends of the earth, get outside of that. We'd not just be within the bounds of Jewish lineage, that God would take the power and it would sweep across the world. We have a church today here, this great church, Bethesda, because that prophecy of Jesus is true, as is every prophecy of Jesus, right? But it's interesting because up to this point, on the confirmation column there on the right, did you notice whenever somebody had an encounter with God and they had a confirmation of that experience, they would always prophesy in Hebrew? or in Aramaic, their known language. God would lead them to speak. But now when God's attention is going to the whole world, do you see what he did? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, other heterius, another of a different kind, glossius language, a language they had never learned before, yet recognized on that one account by internationals that were there in the city. Um, He was trying to take them outside of their comfort zone, showing them that God wants to bring the gospel around the world. He wanted to lift them up out of their own misunderstandings and lift them to a place of of greater service for the Lord. So this is the same pattern. You get ordinary people. They have an encounter with God. God gives them a confirming sign to say, hey, you can do this now. 
get ready for what I'm going to do with you in the days to come. And God blows their mind. Now, the problem with this is that, um, and as, as Pentecostals or Charismatics or Full Gospel or whatever, you know, label, just Christian's a pretty good label, actually. But a lot of times, we get really good at kind of learning how to seek the Lord and receive from Him. But where we really stink at it is being a steward of it. You know, so, so we, we have, you know, we live next door to the same neighbors for 20 years, and they wonder where we get, why we get all dressed up on Sunday morning. We must be going to the country club for brunch, you know. And, and we come to church, and we speak in tongues and prophesy and knock each other over and, you know, do all the Jedi force push things on each other and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but it doesn't seem to translate into our lives very well. But this is a very functional thing. If you've, if you've read um, Luke and then you've read Acts, the second volume of Luke, if you've read those books together, you'll notice a major theme of Luke is how the Holy Spirit wants to help us. And a major theme out of Luke's writing, you can see it in Acts chapter 2 here, in the book of Acts, is if we can trust the Holy Spirit to guide us to speak in the unknown tongue, how much more after that can we be confident that he's going to guide us to speak to our neighbor in the language we know? He's giving us really an outlandish sign, a missional sign that says, hey, I want to speak through you. I want to do greater things for you. And just enough confidence to be willing to try it where we wouldn't have before. And just take that step. And, and some of you know what it's like when you, when you go to try to share with someone. You're not really sure what to say, but you just start surfing the wave and the Holy Spirit kicks in. And it all goes really, really well. And you, he gives you just enough confidence to experience that. You know, some, honestly, of all the things the Holy Spirit does, there's nothing more controversial than speaking in tongues. Because it's kind of weird, honestly. Before you experience it, um, you know, you may have all kinds of ideas about, well, you know, you're, you come to the altar, and then they, they put the electric conducive jelly on your earlobes. They put the clamps on either side, fire up the generator, you know, and, and next thing you know, you, you know, you wet your pants and forget your name, and... Two weeks later, they find you out in the drainage ditch in front of the church in your underwear with a bean can on your head going, what happened to me? You know, this kind of stuff. But it's not that way at all. Those are just, honestly, they're just the misconceptions before. How many of you, you've experienced the wonder of being baptized in the Spirit and you found it to be much different than what you expected before? I did, because I just thought it was going to be one lightning bolt, Jehovah's Zappa moment, you know, hair curls or straightens, whatever the need might be, and next thing you know, you're just, all of a sudden, God's graduated up several levels in the, in the force or whatever, but it's not that way. It's, it's the fatherly way he deals with us. It's the parental way God deals with us. He's always calling us to become more vulnerable to him, and I can't think of anything that makes us more vulnerable than to be willing to look like a fool, Right? You know, and, and all of us do pretty good at that. That's a, kind of a natural gifting in humanity. And uh, I think it was John Wimber who said, I'd rather be a fool for Christ than a fool for myself. And I, I think that's pretty good, pretty well said. But we, we, the problem we have with the language of the Spirit is we don't know what we're saying, so we have no intellectual feedback to validate that it is authentic. So our brain goes, I don't like this. I was praying with someone this past week in, in, uh, in that third world country of Missouri to receive the baptism of the Spirit. And um, the, moment, the moment God was really uh, falling upon her powerfully, and I just said to her, you know, just quiet your heart right now. Just quiet your heart. Become totally silent right now in the Lord's presence. And just pay attention to any kind of prompting that God gives you. And so after about... 10 seconds, she said, okay. I said, well, do you have any prompting? She said, yeah, I've got this funny word burning a hole in my tongue. I said, well, why don't you say it? She said, because it's stupid. And I said, well, the beauty of the language of the Spirit is 
that you don't have to understand it to speak it fluently. That's the beauty of it. And I said, why don't you just say whatever you feel is, you know, and her words burning a hole in her tongue, which, by the way, is not an accurate. There will be no tongue burning today, trust me. But um, so she just kind of went clear to throat and opened up and began to speak it. And the moment she did, she kind of looked at me, and this great uh, relief came across her brow. And all of a sudden, she just threw her hands up to heaven, just began to pray very fluently, very quietly, but very beautifully and authentically in the things of the Spirit. She had been praying for about 30 years to receive the baptism, and she had always thought that God was going to come on her and make her. He was going to hit her with heaven's defibrillators and whatever and, and do that. When instead, she, she realized that this was very functional. And afterwards, I talked with her. You know, it's kind of the same way when you feel like you want to share your faith with someone. You have to try. You have to try to partner with that anointing that is there so that God empowers your speech. If you say, you know, tighten up your lips and say, I'm not going to say anything. Well, then nothing's going to come out, right? And it's the same way when we're praying to receive the baptism. So let me just say this statement before we move on. Um, speaking in tongues is not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is a part of the baptism in the Spirit. It's a sign that God gives us biblically so that we can know that God's really going to be with us to help us when we feel outside of our comfort zone and don't know what to say. It's very often when I'm getting ready to talk with someone, not even in church, in truck stops or airports or wherever we're at, um, I'll just share, you know, getting ready to talk with them. I know, you know, it's a good opportunity, especially if you're one-on-one -on -one alone with people. That's always a great time to hit them up. And so before I do, I'll usually just kind of, without them knowing, I'll kind of cover my mouth and I'll kind of uh, press the test button and let a couple syllables of tongues out. Not so anyone else can hear, just for me. And it's me reaffirming to myself saying, hey, you know what? These lips that get me in all kinds of trouble, especially with cat lovers, which are problematic people anyway. But um, these, these lips that get me in all kinds of trouble, they can speak the words of God. And it's like it's a reaffirmation to me that there is prophetic power available to do the mission of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, here's the second part real quick, and then we're going to move on to prayer. All right. So the second one is the benefit of supernatural prayer power. Now, listen, this is like a, a bonus feature, all right? But the Bible teaches us that um, the Bible says in Acts 2-4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them the utterance. The tense there that's used is that he gave it to them at that moment, and he continued to give it to them. From the moment you and I are fully baptized in the Spirit, we can pray in the language of the Spirit, not in front of everybody in a microphone necessarily, but just personally, which is it's a beautiful personal gift. We can pray in the Spirit any time we yield to that prompting. That will always be there. A lot of people find it that they, they have a first experience. They, they get baptized in the Spirit. They get a couple syllables out. Their brain doesn't like it, which is very normal because your brain goes, I don't understand that. But inside, your heart's doing cartwheels and back handsprings. I mean, you're having a real joy explosion inside, right? And so you, you say, well, I can't reconcile this. But remember, the supernatural is not necessarily intellectual. It's not anti-intellectual. It's just awe-intellectual. It can't be grasped and metered by, by human senses. So what happens is a lot of times people go, well, you know, I just... I don't know, I'm not ever going to yield to tongues again because I, I was conflicted in my brain. Well, good night. We're conflicted in our brain all the Look at your neighbor. Are they conflicted in their brain to you? They look a little bit to me, you know. And so what a lot of people do is they never try to yield again. Well, some of you that had an experience where you had some words or an experience years ago, in just a few moments as we begin to pray, 
No pushing. We don't believe in any manipulation at all. But as we lower our guard and become vulnerable to God, you'll find that prompting will bubble right back up to the surface. And all you have to do to rediscover that language that God has given you is just begin to follow his promptings. And he will affirm to you again that he really wants to speak through you. You've not been designed just to kind of occupy life and, you know, finally, you know, before you die, buy an Oldsmobile and go to the nursing home and eat cream corn until you die. I mean, that's not the plan of God for us. He's called us all to be fruitful, right? And so if we really want to get serious about ministry, if, if we'll just begin to press in, God will begin to confirm to us again that he's really with us, really wants to speak through us in ministry. So two biblical kinds of tongues. This is really important because there's a lot of confusion on this for new people in these things. Number one, we're going to call these personal tongues. That's not a term the Bible uses, but it's functional. This is what comes when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is when you are baptized in the Spirit, you have the ability to personally pray in tongues. It's not the one where you stand up in the middle of the church and say it out loud and someone gives the interpretation. That's a different gift. This is what comes. And this is designed biblically to encourage the individual. Paul said, whoever prays in an unknown tongue builds himself up. It doesn't demand anyone's attention. I mean, it's not going to hurt them if they hear it, but it's not really for anyone else. Paul says, my spirit prays. Um, it's the sign that confirms someone has been baptized in the spirit. It doesn't require interpretation. Um, it's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the ability to privately, personally pray in tongues is never biblically called the gift of tongues. And that may seem like a little small deal, but it really stirs confusion in people. So then look at the next one. Public tongues, this is the one that everybody's afraid of, that God's going to make you do it. This is where you stand up, you have a nervous breakdown, you pit your shirt out, you scream out in a foreign language, right? Um, being silly about it. But this is the one, especially people that are brand new to these types of movings of the Spirit. You won't believe this if you've been around the things of God for a while. How many have been around the things of God for a while? You can tell because when they raise their hand, there's a cobweb from their elbow to their hip, right? Okay. Um, but if you've been around the things of God for a while, you'll be surprised. But I deal with people every week that are hungry for the things of the Spirit. But because there's such a blurring of the public gift of tongues and interpretation and personal tongues, um, they're afraid that if they get baptized in the Spirit, that God will make them do the public tongues at work or at Walmart. <laughs> I'm serious. There's a lot of fear about that. It's a totally different gift. Public tongues is one of the nine manifestations of the Spirit, and it, it, along with the interpretation of tongues, together are the only, only two Siamese twin gifts in the Spirit, right? And it demands everyone listens. You, got, you have to hear it in order for it to be, uh, edify everyone. demands their attention. It's never the sign of being baptized in the Spirit in Scripture. You say, well, what about Acts chapter 2? When on the day of Pentecost, they all heard. Acts 2 was not public tongues with interpretation. Acts 2 was personal tongues with bilingual eavesdroppers. For real, right? So, and, and I've had that experience before in Poland and in Bolivia over the years. But this one is called the gift of tongues. And the reason why I just want to emphasize that is a lot of times the way we use terminology and don't use it consistently kind of leads people into confusion. So just if you're new to this and you go, well, I'm really hungry. I want more of the power of the Spirit. I want God to guide my words, but I just don't want to scream out in tongues at Walmart in front of the rutabagas, right? Which kind of sounds Pentecostal anyway. But you say, I'm, I'm not sure. I just That is a totally different gift. That's a very different compulsion for a different purpose. But the ability for you and I to personally pray in the Spirit, you can't believe the amplification that that gives in your personal spiritual life. I mean, God is so generous. Um, matter of fact, I, um, I understand why Paul said, I want all of you to speak in tongues. 
I mean, it's that valuable, that important. And everyone can of that, of the one that where Paul kind of leaves the open-ended question, does everybody speak in tongues? And the answer is obviously no, the way he phrases it, is talking about the public one, okay? So wrapping things up now, with this personal tongues thing, you say, what am I saying when I pray in tongues? It sounds like I'm, you know, reading the menu at the, you know, the, the Chinese buffet or something like that. I don't know what I'm saying. Well, your brain won't like necessarily what you're saying because it doesn't understand. That's very normal. But when you're praying in the Spirit, biblically, we know that at least one of two things are happening. Number one, you're praying perfect prayers. Remember, he's the holy, perfect Spirit, and he leads us. When we pray in our natural understanding, we pray human prayers. When we pray in the Spirit, we pray Spirit-directed prayers. We pray out of God's intelligence, not ours. Or it can also be an act of worship. Like in Acts 2, when the onlookers understood what they were saying, they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God. So they were an act of worship. It's very appropriate uh, to do that. So we're going to go to a time of prayer. I want to invite, if I can, a couple of the musicians to come back, and we're going to launch into 10 minutes of prayer. You ready? All right? Now listen, I know I'm not really motivational. I get that. Uh, the way I'm wired up, data fires me up. And I know some of you need like some kind of biographical story about Aunt Helen and the goose or whatever it is, but I, I just don't have it in me. All right, so, but here's what's going to happen. I want us in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to dive into prayer. And some of you won't believe this until it happens, but if we'll just dive in and really press down the gas pedal on our prayer, the Holy Spirit will start falling in this room because he already wants to.